Cast, the podcast that you never made a deal with. We're also the show that didn't make the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs, even if you round down, but we do provide an Asian perspective into the galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Bria, and with me are my co-hosts, Brian and Jay. Hello. On today's episode, we're talking all things Star Wars Resistance. We're going to be happy. We're going to be sad. So buckle it and get ready. And hey, guys, how you doing tonight? Um... Yeah, it's it's been a week. <laughs> it's been a day. Oh it my. has been a day. Today has been a day that has felt like a year. If you're wanting to know why, just look up what happened on September 24th, 2019, if you're listening back to this one. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, and we're also recording later than usual because of assorted nonsense which we will blame on technology mm-hmm so stop right, screwing get- with skype <laughs> they will never do that ever went to the All itunes right, guys- school of engineering oh no oh no all right you guys ready to get into this let's do it let's do it okay Thanks. we're not jinxing i need both of you to talk okay And then there's this, in which, you know, I was thinking the other week about how this had turned into a mostly positive segment, and how nice it was that we were seeing good things happen in the world. And then Saturday Night Live decided to do some stuff. One of those things was good. They announced their three new cast members. Uh, Bo and Yang is going to be the first ever Asian cast member in, what, 40 years ever? So... I'm excited for that. I don't, I'm not really familiar with him, except I think he was a writer on the show last season. Yeah. But it's awesome. He was writing for them. Yeah. I can't believe it took 40 years, though, to get a cast member. Like, really, guys? It's one of those things where you think we shouldn't be having first anymore because the first should have already happened like a while ago. And yet. But then again, the other Saturday Night Live item on here might partially explain that because another cast member who was announced uh, was Shane Gillis, who is apparently kind of racist and used some real bad anti-Asian words in his past sets, which people found in like 20 minutes after announcing that he was going to be one of the new cast members. I'm not going to repeat the words because I really don't like them. Um, He has since been fired from the show. And also, if Andrew Yang could never try to speak for the Asian American community again, that would be too soon. Yeah, Andrew Yang, you can sit down. Like, he used some racist terms that I know at least one of those has followed me my entire life. And I have, and I hate it, and it's it's not okay. And, um, and by him, I mean Shane Gillis. Uh... Andrew, you don't get to tell us that, tell him that it's okay, you know, you apologized, it's fine. No. Mm-mm. Like, I, I'm sorry, if you work anywhere in the realm of broadcast TV and you use that language off screen, you're gonna get fired. Period. And it's just, it, it, the Andrew Yang thing especially makes, reminds me of the idea that if, you know, if you have a big microphone, you should be cognizant of what responsibilities you hold while holding it like we talk about on the show all the time that we as individuals can't possibly speak for 
the multitude of Asian American experiences. And then we have Andrew Yang out there purporting to do so. And it's, you know, he should have some awareness of the fact that he's got more visibility than a lot of other folks have ever had in their entire lives in the history of this country and do that responsibly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Although, to be clear, the worst sin is still the white guy who was racist. <laughs> um Yeah. But, oh, absolutely. And un- unapologetic about it, too. Like, the stuff he said afterwards regarding his firing, he, he has no regrets whatsoever, it sounds like. No, he's going to get his uh, his comeback tour, I'm sure, like, almost oh, immediately. He'll have a YouTube channel with 100,000 subscribers in the next week. Ugh. Just, ugh. <sighs> yeah. On the other hand, though, I might I think I might actually try to watch the first episode live just to support Bo and Yang. Like I said, I'm not terribly familiar with comedians and all, but I am happy that he that he's on the show now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Do we want to jump down one and get all of our crankiness out at once? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So we found out a couple weeks ago that writer Adele Lim left the Crazy Rich Asian sequel because of the massive pay disparity between her and her white male co-writer. Um, there's an article in The Hollywood Reporter about it that we linked to, and I haven't looked at the details in a couple in a week or so, but I think the key things to note here is that I will say her, her co-worker, her co-writer did try to do what he could to make up for it, I think. Um, I think he offered her like a whole, like half, a ch- giant chunk of his salary to try and make their their pay more even um but he shouldn't have to do that no absolutely not and it's stupid um i mean obviously i mean yes there is something to say for someone being more experienced getting more pay but not at that i mean it was hundreds of thousands of dollars it was multiple times the the numbers uh and i wasn't I don't know how I feel about the director's response either. You know, just goes to show that it's not just a matter of getting in the door, right? Like she was the the co-writer of this whole project, but because, you know, of all the institutional background of people having been there first and having built up so much more experience on all these different projects, you're still not going to have an equal Playing for an equal compensation once you're in the door. These things take time to try to resolve through. Yeah. I I really hope. I don't even know what the good solution here is besides because apparently they've been going back and forth about this for a while. Um, and so I don't want to say that like a good solution would be that they hire another Asian writer on this because number one. Adele M should never have had to leave the project. But on the other hand, I don't want it to just be a white guy writing this story. <laughs> I so. mean, it would be it would be disturbingly problematic if this moves forward with just a white guy writing it. Yeah. And not even not even just the problematic side. It's like we're not, you know, how do we know that the the, the writer is gonna have the same sensitivity, the same awareness, the same ability to write as compelling a screenplay as the first time. Yeah. <sighs> this is garbage, guys. Not great, Bob. Nope. Damn it, Bob. <sighs> Bob's the worst. 
In happier news, though, uh, it was announced that for Marvel, uh, Fonda Lee is going to be joining Greg Pak in co-writing the Swordmaster and Shang-Chi comic, which is pretty cool. And this comes on the wake of, I believe it's Alyssa, I'm blanking on her last name. I want to say it's Alyssa Wong. Alyssa Wong, who is going to be joining him in co-writing some of the Agents of Atlas stories. Um, which is really cool because I think I comics can be a tricky medium to break into sometimes. And I think it's awesome that with such an Asian-focused book that Greg is making it a point to try and open the door further for other Asian writers and especially Asian female writers to get in there and write and write for Marvel. It's a really cool thing to do. Like once, you know, once you made it, like pay it forward and help other people get in and use your clout to to reinforce people. I like that. Yeah, especially since it's uh the Agents of Atlas books are. I'm very far behind on all my comics, but I think they're very Asian focused. If I remember the promo art correctly. Was Agents of Atlas the one that featured the scene in the restaurant, or was that a different comic? That was in Totally Awesome Hulk. Got it. But it's the same writer. Yeah, I mean, Greg Pak nailed the Asian restaurant experience, so well done there. You mean the check the check snatching? Mm-hmm. The check brawl? <laughs> the check brawl. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Jay, do you want to take the next one, since I think you're, uh, you're probably the, one of us most excited yeah, sure. about it? So um, at D23, I believe, Disney announced Raya and the Last Dragon, which is a new Disney animated film, uh, you know, on the sort of a follow, not a follow up, but on the same vein as Moana, where this one pulls from the traditional uh, Hong Kong action uh, movies, as well as I think it's Southeast Asian mythology, Um, the sword singing, uh, the sword swinging, that's hard thing to say quickly lead character raya will be born by be voiced by cassie Steele, and aquafina is voicing the last dragon and if i recall from the announcement correctly it's basically doing for southeast asian culture indonesian culture what uh moana tried to do for polynesian culture and i'm really excited about this personally because one of the things i've um enjoyed about disney lately is now that you know the Western-based fairy tale well has been, uh, you know, drawn a little dry. I'm glad they're experimenting and going into other cultural mythologies, but not doing it in the Aladdin slash Lion King style vein where it was just a largely white cast and, um, you know, white white group of writers writing these stories, but actually involving people from the cultures that they're uh, making their films about. Like one of the cool things going on is they even had a, Polynesian cultural sensitivity group that um, they went through with all their costume designs, their story ideas, their ideas with the myth, and got basically a yay or nay about whether or not this felt authentic to the cultural mythology. And I hope they really do the same thing with this Last Dragon movie as well. Sensitivity reviewers also good for film. That's just crazy talk. I know, right? Right. Oh, man. Did you see that um, art preview uh, they posted at D23, Jay? I think uh, it was like a poster, right? I Let me Google it really quickly just to make sure. Yeah, it was a, it was a poster thing. Um, just very colorful, very vivid. And uh, if that's kind of the art direction they're going to go with that, I am very, very excited for this movie. 
Oh yes, I did see this. I loved her with her sword riding on that that creature. That's spectacular. Uh yeah, I'm I'm very much looking forward to this one. I'm always here for swords. What can't be solved with a sword, really? Or a dragon. I mean, really. You have both, and I'm just happy. <laughs> sword Which, and oh. or dragon. Perfect. Speaking of dragons, uh, this isn't in the notes, but there was a book that came out the end of July. I think it was after we last recorded called Shatter the Sky, which I really enjoyed. Um, It has Asian protagonists and it's about a girl who it's a it's a fantasy culture. But basically they come the emperor's people come in and they like take away her girlfriend to go live in this weird, creepy Whatever the emperor's, she basically her her girlfriend now will belong to like the emperor or whatever. And so the protagonist, her solution is okay. I need to save my girlfriend. How do I do this? Dragon. Who has dragons? They all belong to the emperor, dude. I'm gonna go steal a dragon. Now that's a pitch, right? Right. It was. It's really good. I really enjoyed the book, and it looks like it's a, at least a duology. Um, but yeah, it's called Chatter the Sky. If anyone's interested in picking that up, that sounds rad. Definitely. Yeah, that yeah, one's that's that one's going on to the read pile. I mean, it emperors, also, dragons. What what more can I ask for? It also has some of the neatest dragon mythology. I think I've seen. It felt fresh in a way that I haven't really felt about dragons in a while. Um, but yeah, if you guys read that, you'll have to let me know what you think. Um. Okay, the last bullet on here. I am convinced I willed this into being. Because I have talked about wanting this for at least since we started the show, if not longer. If if this wasn't you willing it into existence, then I just have no faith in the universe anymore. Exactly. Because the day before, or I think it was either the first day or the day before D23 started, Ming-Na Wen posted pictures of herself at Galaxy's Edge living her best life. And because I have long supported Ming-Na Wen getting to be in Star Wars, because she said she wants to be in Star Wars, I think I posted in the Tasha Station Slack something along the lines of, will you just put her in Star Wars already? And what happened the next Less day? Less than 24 hours later. Ming-Na Wen to be in the Mandalorian. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, you were driving at the time that uh, was announced, right? Um... Maybe I, I might have been. I was this on Friday? It was. You were on. You were on a. You were on the road. Oh my God! You're right. So yeah, Nancy and I were very con- concerned that um, we might accidentally kill you. Uh, it's okay. When I'm we fine. messaged you. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I'm so happy about this, guys. And it sounds like she's playing a human. And is it going to be under layers of makeup? Right, that's the shocking thing almost. It's like it's almost like we're surprised to see a person of color actually playing a person of color in a Star Wars film and not a CGI'd alien. Yeah, because the, the Twi'lek is uh Tonks, apparently. It is Tonks, yes. I know her she has a name, but I just always will call her Tonks. Um so yeah, I'm super excited to see Ming Ming Na Wen in the Mandalorian. Uh now that I'm thinking about it, there there's a strong chance I don't know how they're doing the release schedule, but we might end up talking about it in December, just to use her as an excuse. 
I think they said they're doing a weekly thing and not an episode dump like uh, Netflix or whatever. Oh, you mean we have to wait? Fine. No, there, there is still a small possibility that we will see her before the year's out. That's true. That's very true. I'll schedule it for February anyways, just to be safe. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're really, I think we're all very excited about that. Uh, I managed to not crash my car with delight. Once I did find out, I think I might have been like sitting at a traffic light when I looked down. I was like, ah! But we're all fine here now. We're all fine. Thank you. How are you? I mean, my life's a lot better after that news, so great. Yeah. And on that happy note, shall we talk about another Star Wars TV show that we are very much enjoying and excited for a season of? Oh, I suppose. Let's talk about Resistance, guys. Uh, We actually meant to talk about season one way back after it finished airing and then our schedule got all screwy so we're just talking of tonight about how we felt about season one and then our hopes and dreams about season two please note that i have a very specific moment in which we get to talk about certain parts of season two in the show notes brian Mm -hmm. (laughs) so we're gonna start with the positive um what were your guys initial reactions to the show when we first saw the the first couple episodes and it started airing so I don't want this to sound overly inflammatory, but it's my it was my actual thought, and it was that uh, I love this because it feels so unlike a full, typical Filoni animated joint. Expand on that a little more. Um, I mean, it's... First of all, it's not focused on any force users or anything like that. It's very grunts of the galaxy and uh, off the beaten path. It's a little less mythologically focused and it's it, it was its own thing. You didn't need six prior seasons of lore to understand what's going on. It felt really fresh. Uh both on a storytelling and character level, as well as a visual level. Um, the bright colors, uh, the cell-shaded animation, it was a really it was a really nice look. And yeah, I was just instantly drawn to it. Can I say one word? Pilots. Yes. Pilots. Like yes. there's there's a large segment of the fandom, the three of us here included, that really love the piloting space flying aspect of star wars you know we grew up on the x-wing books we like the space shooty pew pew of the movies and the initial promotion of the show was here's a show about a bunch of pilots they're doing racing and they're normal people relatively speaking in star wars and the force isn't anywhere to be seen and you know nothing wrong with the forest if you like that sort of thing but it's cool to get something that was in our corner for once and uh, that initial premise, I think, had us intrigued. The additional thing is, it's poster from the Jedi. It's right before The Force Awakens. It's an era that we haven't seen much storytelling in yet. You know, like, there's been a wide berth. You know, we've had Bloodline and a few books in that time period. But aside from that, it was basically a blank slate. Yeah, so I was actually going to talk about that a little bit later on. But let's just go ahead and, and jump into it. Uh how do you guys feel about um, the show we got versus the one that, and I'm using the word marketed loosely because especially compared to Rebels, there wasn't a whole lot of marketing done for the show. 
Well, I think the show surprised me, right? Because we we thought it was just, you know, a, a show about a bunch of happy-go-lucky pilots. Like, we knew, I think, the spy angle early on. Like, it was the initial premise of the show. But it seemed like it was going to be a very narrow, focused show. And it ended up being... Um, more closely connected, I think, to the to the actual war than we thought. You know, Poe Dameron appeared a lot more than we thought. Uh, Kaz being related to the senator from Hosnian Prime and that whole personal aspect and just the the constant role of the First Order. Like, I didn't realize it was going to be um, a war show until it di- until it became one. And it was cool to be surprised, but I also wonder if they would have marketed the connection of the film a bit more um, maybe more viewers would have latched onto it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it's, uh, I, I was definitely very surprised at how closely it did kind of tie into the war angle. I thought it would be a lot more off the beaten path than that. Uh, but I, I did really like that. Um, how much uh, the First Order was involved in it. I really thought that the first season would feel a lot more like Rebels' first season, where it's just, oh, hey, here's this new setting. We're going to have random adventures every week. But there was a lot more of a through line of the plot uh, that tied it into the greater galactic conflict, which I honestly wasn't expecting. And, like, you know, speaking of the, the First Order, like, we really got to see what a First Order occupation was like and how they turned regular citizens to their side, how they... Um, exercise their control and I think that you know it gives such great context to the Force Awakens that and I know this never would have happened but it it almost would have functioned better as a lead into the Force Awakens and it's fine after the fact as context too and I wish more people got to see it because I think audiences would really appreciate how much context it gives to the Force Awakens yeah agreed yeah, plus it also introduced people to characters like Poe and Phasma earlier on. Um, and I also think it did a good job of teasing the evil that is Kylo Ren. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. So do you think, okay, actually now I'm wondering, I wonder if there's going to be a generation of kids or any kids who their first introduction who maybe they'll watch the first season of Resistance before they see The Force Awakens. Oh, I'm almost certain that's the case. Um, that would be really right. It's like it's like those kids who watch Clone Wars between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, right? Like, chronological viewing, um, you know, has its pluses and minuses, but I think in cases of Resistance especially, it's a perfect way to introduce kids and also get them used to... Uh, what the story's going to be like without being, you know, it's not an excessively violent show. It's, it's not as dark, I think, as Clone Wars got in time, which is to its advantage, I think, in having kids introduced to the story. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the age group, too, um, because this show and the show was aimed at a younger age group than either Clone Wars or, or Rebels was. And I think... At times, it was a little bit to the show's detriment because there were points, and we'll talk when we go into the characters specifically, we'll talk a little more about that. Um, but there were times when Kaz was a little bit too goofy and a little bit too over the top for my adult sensibilities, but I could see how a kid would appreciate it. Um, so how do we feel about the show specifically being aimed younger? And do we think do we think that there were fans who just didn't, never gave it a fair shot? I... I think that there are a there's a sizable number of fans that never gave the show a fair shot because the uh, the intended audience was younger. 
on the other hand, though, I really appreciate that they did a show that was aimed towards a younger audience, uh, because uh, Star Wars animation has been kind of impenetrable and inaccessible for a little while. So I think there really needed to be an entry touch point for younger kids where they could jump on board. And I thought that this show, for the most part, did a really admirable job doing that. Yeah, like there's a whole generation of kids that started with the first season of The Clone Wars, and that was a good entry point for them. But as the storytelling sort of continued, same thing with the first season of Rebels, but as the storytelling from both those series continued, the shows got more and more mature, which is what you would expect, but it's also harder to introduce young children to that. And I think, you know, animation is a medium that while adults can and should enjoy it, I think um, it would be a shame to throw away how good it is for introducing kids to Star Wars. And the fact that they're deliberately skewing younger with the show, I think is a great thing. Like Star Wars needs more youth programming. And now that we have things like Galaxy of Adventures and other things like that, that's helpful. But Having a full storyline-based, episodic TV show for kids, I think, is important. Yeah, definitely agreed. Yeah, and it stands out from um, something like the Lego ones, which are or the the Freemaker Adventures, which seem to be in that awkward, uh, uh, not canon sort of area. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure actually how they're viewed by the for canon and all since they are you know literally characters made out of lego one of those I think things they were th- described as uh leland chi called them canon adjacent where they're canon ish but you know not necessarily the specific ways they happen but the characters probably do exist that makes sense yeah it does make sense okay uh shall we dive into the characters then yeah let's dive into the characters yeah so we start out with Ka- Kazuta Ziono, who I know a lot of us uh, felt very strongly about because he is voiced by the incredible Christopher Sean, um, who, like me and Brian, is uh, is mixed race Asian and also has the distinction of being Bing Lee from the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. Uh, <laughs> but Kaz, and I think it was great that we actually got to see uh Christopher's heritage reflected in how Kaz looked in the show. Um, he is the son of a senator, so he grew up on Hosnian Prime. And when we first meet him, we see him as a pilot for the New Republic. And he's being pretty darn heroic. He is being pretty darn heroic. Uh, so you get a glimpse into his character early on um, that uh, he is uh, he's kind of the consummate... Uh, consummate uh, hero through and through, or at least he tries to be. And I think it's, it was important to establish that for him in the beginning of the show, because he can be a, a bit of a goofball later on in the show. He's, you know, really bad at being a spy, but he starts out as, you know, he's like, what, a commander, right, in the, in the New Republic Navy? So he's like, he's at least an officer and a pilot, and it's important to show that he's a heroic character, so kids can latch onto this character, and while he's doing his bumbly, goofy um, stuff that kids will also relate to, they still know that he's a hero that they're following. Yeah. Um, and I think I think having those first couple of moments when we saw him pull those maneuvers that were, let's be honest, Rogue Squadron worthy are what made me initially fall in love with Kaz. Like he, 
you don't get to see it a whole lot in season one, but he is a legitimately good pilot. And also from, like, you know, a storytelling perspective related to Kaz, we got to see him in a New Republic uniform flying a New Republic X-Wing, things that we hadn't seen in Star Wars story- storytelling up to that point, right? Like, they've been referenced in guidebooks, but we got a legitimate, like, uh, big lore revelation in that scene and a lore connection to the New Republic stuff from the books in the TV show, and it was really cool to have the show open up with that and open up with Kaz. Sidebar, those... Uh- T eighty, uh, those uh, those X wings are ugly. I'm just gonna say it; they're not great. They're still prettier than Y wings. I mean, yes, but I'm just saying. So was everything. Yes, that's that's very true. Jay I Har- do like how they look fancier and like more um, sort of uh, designed than the T seventies or the old T sixty fives from the trilogy. Like they're very like. This is what a peacetime navy. It's like it's like the i iPhone generation of uh, X wings. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that look, it's the eleven. Pogue, you're still flying an eight. Oh, oh man. Uh, so I know a lot of people got down on Kaz because he was literally the worst spy ever. But I will defend that good soft boy because he was doing his best. And let's be honest. If so, if Poe Dameron came up to you and said, all right, kid, you're going to be a spy for me for the resistance. I'm going to dump you on this station with no training whatsoever. I'm not sure most of us could do much better. And uh, his cover identity was literally the worst possible thing. Be a mechanic, but I don't know how to. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, not not a whole lot of uh, not a whole lot of great planning ahead there. No. Oh boy, he tried though. He tried so hard, and in his defense, Niku didn't help things. No, Niku. I I love Niku, and I'm also imminently frustrated with Niku at times. Let's talk about that then. So, uh, character that takes everything literally. So he's kind of like Drax, except not as murdery. Oh, that Drax. Sorry, yes, Guardians Drax. No, it Drax. took me a minute to think. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are your takes... I know there are some people who read who who read Niku as being, and they said autistic. Yeah, i i can see I can see that read. Yeah, Jay, how did you feel about him? Yeah, about Niku? It, it's it's hard to say because he was such a one note character, and he got development, but the repeated gags and. You know, if it is a take on an autistic character, I mean, I don't know if that I'm the right person to comment on it, but I, I sort of wonder um, at whether it should be played for laughs so much. Like, I'm I'm glad he later got some more depth, especially with his connection to animals and everything like that. Um, and certainly his uh, need to be honest and his dislike of lying. But it was a hard one for me. I think I, I, I see why a lot of the fandom likes him and attaches to him, but he he just never really connected with me. Wasn't there like a whole section because everyone 
I just remember one of the big things for discourse, um, and discourse, I don't mean to use that in a negative term, but one of the big conversations surrounding the show on Twitter was uh, who the First Order spy was. And I feel like a lot of people thought it was Niku for a while. Yeah, it reminded me, honestly, of like the the Darth Jar Jar theory where like, you know, this character who's sort of played for laughter and is more bumbling is actually, um, you know, crazy like a fox and they know exactly what they're doing. And like Niku could have been, you know, a spy all along and he was just playing his uh, happy-go-lucky role. I mean, um, it, it's a compelling fan theory, but yeah. not likely to be true at all. Yeah, I did really love I'm not, I'm not on with that theory. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was wrong, but uh, yeah, I, I think the thing that I liked about Niku was his good heart and how he was a friend to Kaz when Kaz really did need one. <laughs> that made me happy. Um, also amongst the mechanic crew was Jarek Yeager, and I cannot spell Yeager's name right to save my life because I keep thinking Yeager and that's just not right. Um, well, he was voiced by Scott by I, Scott Lawrence. I'm still cool. mad it's Yeager and not Jaeger. Yeah, you name a guy after Chuck Yeager and then you change the pronunciation. What's the point? I was thinking of the giant robot. Oh, I know you were thinking about the giant robot. <laughs> when am I not thinking about giant robots? I mean, fair. Yeah. Uh, what'd you guys think of him? He, he was one of the more interesting characters of the show for me. Um... I really liked getting a glimpse into his family history, especially his relationship with his brother, and the sense that something really awful happened to him that drove him out to the furthest reaches of the galaxy to just not be involved anymore. Yeah, like, you know, we, we got his backstory as an ex-rebel, and originally he seemed very resistant to helping Kaz, but he was always helping Kaz, like, even when he seemed like he didn't want to, he always would, and he, you know, you knew that he had a good heart, and that he'd just been, you know, burned a little bit, and having his backstory with his family develop and his thoughts on the First Order and the, on the war, like, he was one of the more complex, meaty characters in the show, and it was cool to see um, an older character have a, a cool role like that and be as interesting as he was. Remind me, did we ever find out how how Yeager and Poe knew each other? I don't think we've officially learned that yet. Because I think, like, I'm pretty sure, Brian, you and I talked about our, our hopes that maybe it was because he and Shara were friends or something and flew together, right? Oh, did we talk I, about that? Yeah, we did, and I very much still hope that's true. Yeah, it'd be cool to see him show up if they ever decide to do more, you know, pilot focused stories set in the OT timeline and not look at the the characters, the main characters, man, it'd be really cool to see him show up. I mean, there was a stretch I was convinced he was going to be an alphabet squadron. He still could be. There's he two more still books. still could Ooh. be. Ooh. Okay. Oh. Ooh. <gasps> I'm down with this theory. What if he knows Yerika? Oh, oh gosh. And once again, he, uh, he remains one of my most favorite interesting characters of this show, just because there's still so much possibility with his backstory. Yeah, you know, he actually kind of, with how he was, it sort of made me think of how Aiden was in the the DLC for Battlefront 2, because... 
when we see her and and to an extent Dell, Shriv is part of the resistance. But Aiden and Dell aren't. They're just trying to, you know, live their lives. And when they get pulled into everything, it's not entirely by choice, especially for Aiden, you know. Um, so for me, it, it's fascinating to see these characters who have lived through one war and who are doing everything they can, even though, let's be honest, they'll still fight for what's right when when it comes down to it. But they don't want to fight another war in their lifetime. And I think that's very... It's very I, relatable and understandable and really grounds them as characters. Yeah. It's not selfishness. You know that they fought their war. They've, they've suffered for it. And, um, you know, it takes another push to get them there. But they are fully aware of what the cost of war is. Yeah. Man. Oh. I, and I love I love how he tried. He tried so hard to help Kaz throughout. Oh, man. There's an interesting... I think the dynamic between Yeager and Kaz is fascinating. And yet, I think the dynamic between him and Tam was even more interesting to me. Um, because Tam is one of the other characters that I think really had a chance to shine in this show. Uh, or not so much shine, but like who had the most interesting arc out of all of them. Um, she's because, definitely wow. The, she's definitely the character I feel the most for, um, because through no fault of her own, uh, she gets jerked around a lot, um, and it's not really anyone's fault. She's just caught in this circumstance. And she cannot know all of the context of what's going on. And what else is she supposed to think? Yeah. Yeah, her plotline is one of the deepest, most adult parts of this entire show. Because it all depends on you being able to have that perspective and say, from her limited point of view, how does all this look? And, you know, we can draw all the analogies to like different workplaces and being passed over and being lied to and people paying, playing favorites. Plus, you put in all this context about the politics and the war and everything going on in the station, her own dreams that she's had to defer to, to work in maintenance. Like she's one of the most compelling characters in the entire show. And my only regret about it is that um, early on, we only got to see her in passing. And I, I do wish we got to see a bit more of her, and I'm just hopeful of uh, her story going forward because she's just so interesting to me. Yeah, the contrast between her and Kaz, the more I think about it and the more I really um, delve into it. And honestly, if they're going to write a middle grade book or a YA book, I hope it's about Tam. Like, I would always love to see more Kaz, but I think Tam's point of view throughout all of this would be fascinating, especially as we move into the second season. Um, which is very much Kaz's opposite. Like Kaz grew, came from a life of privilege. Uh, you know, he's, he's does a spy thing and yeah, he struggles a fair bit with it. But from Tam's point of view, he's sort of just given everything that she was hoping for and to work for. He lies to her and, and in a way he has to, but I think there was a point where I was just like, Kaz, would you just tell her already for the love of God, this would be fine. Um, but it doesn't matter what OPSEC says here. Just tell her. And yeah, that's yeah, you're already a bad spy. Like, come on. Uh, and to the point where as we let we got up to the last couple episodes, I understood why she went to the First Order. 
Um, because Agent Tierney came in and from her point of view, told her the truth for the first time and was open and honest with her. And then, you know, she didn't see what happened to Hosni and Prime, I believe. Uh, and you understand why she why she turns from the people who she thought were her family because she was sort of well, she was taken for granted. Well, and the people she thought was her was her family were just being so transparently. Um, th- it was clear they were holding stuff from her. She could see it plain as day, and that that's a horrible thing to know deep down that people you care about that you thought care about you are withholding things from you. And it's also important to remember her family history. Like, didn't she have, like, her father or grandfather or some relatives who, you know, used to work at, like, Kuat Drive Yards, and, you know, they had their career under the Empire, and we've seen stuff like this in books like Bloodline, where there are some people who, um, you know, they had jobs under the Empire. Maybe they didn't realize what the Empire was like, but all they know is they had jobs one day, and they didn't have jobs later. And now Tam's on the station, the Colossus. She sees the First Order coming in, and from her perspective, from all she knows, knows they're cleaning up the messes on the station and like her buddies are actually some of the people who are causing those messes she doesn't know the real story she doesn't know that the first order is making people disappear she just thinks that the people who are lying with to her are also troublemakers and are making it worse for everybody oh that's right i forgot about that angle because honestly something that the first order is very good at is propaganda and they're very good at taking the truth and twisting it to their own purposes. Yeah. Um, we saw how they were able to use the pirates to basically get Captain Doza to roll out the red carpet for them. And man, and when you have someone like Tierney especially who who treats Tamman like a human. Not that not that Kaz and Nico and Jaeger weren't treating her like a human, but like more like an equal. Does that make does that seem like a better term? Yeah, I think so. And yeah. And, and the moment of betrayal on her face, the moment she learned that Kaz was like the son of a thunder and that he he was rich and he hadn't had to struggle the way she had. Like she like she you could feel that gut punch right there coming off the screen. Yeah. God. Like t- this cast is so good, guys. There is only one person who was willing to give Tam an explanation of anything, and it was Tierney. Yep. And it's imminently understandable why Tam gravitates towards Tierney and the First Order after that, because Tierney's the only one who's saying anything that resembles honesty. Yep. On a lighter note, you know who I ship her with? Tierney or uh, Tam, which character? Tam. The uh, Sonara. Yes. I am very much on that ship. I am 100% on board with that ship. I support them getting together, especially once Tam leaves the First Order, which I hope she does. Hey, who ha- who better to bust her out than some than some pirates? Right? Oh, that would be so right? good. And then they can add some uh, First Order gear to their weird motley collection of random Imperial insignia and helmets that they always wear. Yes. Oh, that would be fun. Speaking of badass ladies, Toradoza is a delight. Underestimate her at your peril. Like, 
I I think she's she is one of the first teenagers who actually feels like a teenager in Star Wars, who yes. doesn't feel like she had to grow up too fast. Um, I mean, she's incredibly talented. She's what, 15 in the show, 15 or 16? Mm-hmm. And she's one of the aces, and she clearly earned her spot there. Um, she's a damn good pilot. But then you see her, you know, she has these stuffed animals, she has her pet, she has her flying game, and she just feels so, she's a, She's a little ball of sunshine, but not in a way that feels just feels so genuine. And I'm like, I love this girl and I would die for her. Well, not only is she she just a enormously rare character that's actually feels like a teenager, but she's allowed to be feminine as well, which is another kind of rare thing in Star Wars. And it shouldn't be a rare thing, man. No, it shouldn't. But it is. And that. It's it's another reason I love this show, because more character archetypes that we don't typically see. Yeah, and like her her personality comes through with the voice acting as well. I, I forget the voice actress's name exactly at this point, um, but she has a lot of personality. And I like that also um, Toradoza, like Tam, like Kaz, is another character of color. And I like that she's able to have... Um, a bit of an accent on the show, just like we saw with Cassian in Rogue One, and that she has her family dynamic. Like it's, I think it's really important for young kids watching the show to see someone who's being a kid, who has a family, who also plays games, has friends, wants to spend time with them, and is also a her- hero at the same time. Uh, Mirna Velasco. That's it. Yeah. Oh man, and she's so her her colors are bright. They're happy. I love that teal. And honestly, it's a sh- I don't understand how we don't have jackets for Kaz and Tora. Uh, like why can we not buy those jackets? I don't I don't understand. Also right. of all the all the starfighters in the show, I think hers is probably the best design. Like I love Griff's tie thing, but I think Tora Doza's starfighter is just the best looking of of the bunch. Yeah. And I, I like, I really liked her friendship with Kaz, and I hope they don't go somewhere shippy with it. Because number one, he's the, the age difference at that age is a little bit too much. Um, and number two, because she was, she came from, she has a life of privilege, yes, and she has her friends with the Aces, but she's so much younger with them, and she keep, she's basically kept locked locked up in that tower. I was like, when she got, she and Kaz sort of became friendly. I was like, you two need this so badly. I am here for the power of friendship. And it's like, it's important to have uh, mixed gender friendships in Star Wars. I think that's really, really powerful, and um, it shows that friends look out for each other and they enjoy time with each other. And I, I, I think it's important for Star Wars to see that instead of just having everyone in a relationship all the time. Yeah. Wait, men and women can be friends? What? I don't think it's allowed, actually. Oh, okay. Bye, guys. I got to stop this podcast. <laughs> Huge, if true. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, they just make me happy. Um, and let's talk about her dad, too, because... I feel like, Jay, you're going to have some things to say about Captain Doza. Oh, my God. I know he has a first name. I don't remember it. It's Captain. Um, But I think the moment where we saw the Imperial uniform in his office. That was like favorite character right then and there. 
Of Boom. course it was. Do you want to talk about him a little bit, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, he starts off on the show being a little bit of a distant authority figure up in his tower. And the more we see his relationship to Tora Doza and his relationship to the station, he's protective of both of them, right? Like, he cares about both of them, and he's, you know, a strong authority figure. And then the second that we see that Imperial uniform and his cause is like, oh, oh, that's interesting. Because it turns out he was an Imperial. He knows what the Empire is like. He doesn't want the First Order doing that to the station, to his people, to his family. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Even more interesting to realize that he knows Yeager, he trusts Yeager, and he relies on him a lot. And as they continue to work together throughout the course of the show, especially when things hit the fan towards the end, I just like... I love the idea of this old ex-Imperial and this old ex-Rebel knowing what's what and working together to stop the First Order. And I started noticing watching all the way through the show that he does really have an Imperial vibe. You know, he has, you know, his hands behind his back when he's, you know, standing up. He has that way of authority that he carries with himself. And like I said with Tora, he's also a person of color who is allowed to speak with an accent. And that's really cool to see in Star Wars. Yeah. I bet he and Pelia would be friends. Why do you have to ruin things? <laughs> Brian, am I right? Yes. Sorry, Hi, Jay. Jay. You know, Pelion would have retreated from the station the second the First Order showed up. He would not have stayed to fight. I mean, but technically... technically the whole station retreated. Yeah. It yeeted off into space. Yeah, that's yeah, that is in fact the technical term for it. Yeeted <laughs> off to space. I have never said that word out loud before. I don't think I ever will again. Someone's <laughs> gonna need to talk me out of using that as the show title for this episode. <laughs> I don't think either one of us are gonna do that. Also, his first name is apparently Emmanuel. Oh, excellent. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Manuel Doza. But yeah, no, I agree with what you were saying about how we had that that imperial, the imperial posture, the imperial style. And I think he's one of the first the first characters we've seen who who was an imperial officer like that, but who's who probably, you know, surrendered and who stayed on and who made a new life for himself and didn't necessarily cling to the past. Because, yes, he still had the uniform. But to me, I don't see that as clinging to the past as more of keeping a reminder of where he's come from. Yeah. yeah. Now, did was this just fan speculation, or was it officially said somewhere that Tora's mom was a rebel fighter? It's in Women of the Galaxy, I believe. Yes. I want to know the story behind that. I almost, you know, when we're talking about Alphabet Squadron connections to uh, Resistance, I one of my also other thoughts was that was going to be part of the story as well. Oh. Huh. Interesting. Although, I mean, they could have met a while after. They probably met a while after the war ended. That's my guess. Yeah, it's distinctly possible considering how young, uh, how young uh, Tora is. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't have had to meet for what a decade. Yeah, at least not more. Yeah, but I think there's definitely a story there because I mean, there has to be a reason why they had Amy put that in the bio for mm-hmm. Women of the Galaxy. I mean, it may even come up in, in the second season, too, um, yeah. especially since we've seen already his connection with Eager and there could just be a larger like I, I 
it's something that I really enjoyed in like, you know, in the EU with the new Jedi Order and everything. The old timers, you know, uh, um, the mm-hmm. old timers from the old war coming back together, getting the squad back together. And I just love hearing their old war stories. And they've done it before. They've seen it before. And now they're getting back into action. I love that stuff. Oh, that'd be so cool. Uh, let's briefly talk about the other aces. So Hype Phazon, Freya, Griff, and Bo Keeble. My favorite is Hype Phazon, and not just because I heard on loop the trailer in which you went, you can't handle the hype! Woo! At New York Comic Con all last year. I actually really liked the episode where we got to see Hype's backstory. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on particular on any of those guys? Of the aces, he was probably the one I least expected to get kind of, uh, an involved, um, resonant arc with. I really like Griff, the ex-Imperial uh, pilot. And, you know, even though his TIE, you know, his ship is basically a, a modified TIE fighter slash almost a Jedi starfighter from Revenge of the Sith. And even though he kind of wears an ex-Imperial uniform, um, he's another guy like Captain Doza that doesn't necessarily seem inclined for the First Order. Like, he still, you know, wears his Empire merchandise and, you know, uniforms, but... Uh, he seems to be resisting them, and I, I kind of wish we got to see more of him and why, why he's doing that, and and you know it's just compelling to see ex Imperials who don't like the First Order, or heck, yeah. even the grumpy Imperials in the First Order, like Captain Kennedy. Give me more of them too. Why not? <laughs> Agreed, Good old Captain Kennedy. Uh, overall, with the Aces, though, I kind of felt like they were really underutilized in this first season. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's funny because the, the initial promotion made you think they were the core of the show, and they really weren't. They were almost background, which honestly, I, I, I'm kind of okay with. I think the characters we got, especially you know, Tam and the Dozas and Kaz, I, I'm, I much prefer the story being about them than about the Aces, really. I, yeah, it does make me wonder why they spent so much time talking up the Aces in uh, pre-release marketing on this when. If I think the found family angle with the actual main cast is a lot more compelling of a reason to bring people in to watch. Yeah, it feels more Star Wars in a good way. It does, but also it's an excuse to put Donald Faison out there. I mean, yeah. And then you had, you know, Star Wars standards voicing both Freya and Griff. You mean they were hyping him up? They were hyping him up. (sighs) I spent so much effort, Jay, to not say hype in talking about them, and you just steamroll through. Because you can't handle the hype, Brian. Uh, I hate you both. I hate you both. (laughs) Let's talk about the First Order characters. Von Rigg, Pyre, and Tierney. Von Rigg has a really, really cool tie, and I'll give the First Order one thing. They may suck, but their ships, well, not their starter stories, they're ugly, but other than that, they have really cool-looking spaceships. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool starfighter design. Von Rigg, though, was just kind of sort of there for me. Yeah. I kind of get, for Von Rigg Empire, they irk me a little bit because if everyone has special armor, then it's not special. Um, especially after the Phasma book made such a big deal about Cardinal getting his red armor and Phasma having her silver. I'm like, well, what the heck did Pyre do to get his gold armor? Um, and especially now that we know there wasn't that much time between when Phasma ended and resistance probably began. 
Yeah. Unless Pyre like just got just had just been promoted recently. I don't know. Um, but they were both fine. I guess they were kind of there, you know, I mean, really with the first order characters, it was more the vibe of the first order being there. And then, you know, as we talked about tyranny, like she was the one that really sold the convincing persuasiveness of the first order. Yeah, yeah I wish they got more great, of her. Great, and I hope, yeah, I hope there's a lot more of her in the second season. Did we just get those last two episodes? Uh, only the last couple, yeah. Oh, man, I can't wait to see what they do next with her. Uh, she's one of those characters I think I'm definitely going to latch onto, and I had to, <laughs> I had so many people when she first appeared in that trailer be like, so you're going to build this costume? I was like, no, guys, guys, no, no. But also, um, yes. But no. Uh I gotta even go build Dragon Age costumes, which I think her voice actress was one of the voices for the female Inquisitor. Wait, really? I think so, yeah. Okay, now or I no, gotta, yes. I think now so. I gotta look that up. You Someone all keep talking. Me. Um huh. which, you know, any anything Dragon Age, I'm happy. I think she was the American accented voice. Okay. Well, did you know that um female hawk is actually in uh the old republic game? She is the female uh, Sith agent, Imperial agent character, um, who is supposed to be at least the official quote-unquote canonical version back when that was canon was a Chiss. So, hey, Ooh. Hawk's also a female Chiss in Star Wars. That's so much cooler than Colin being Disciple. Yep, was <laughs> indeed the female Inquisitor. Oh, Agent Tierney, you're so awesome. And I think at some point we're probably going to want to talk about her more. Yeah, um, probably Montano. after the show wraps up. Yeah, yeah. definitely. We're going to talk about her more. Um, I think we just need to get more more episodes with her. Uh, how do we feel about the use of characters like Poe, BB-8, and to an extent, uh, Phasma and Leia, and how the show used the known characters? I'm glad that they used uh, Phasma and Leia sparingly, just knowing how busy they were. Um, and I thought that Poe was actually used really well, and... Props Oscar Isaac for not phoning it in. You know, this was an example of being able to use legacy characters or, or big, big star characters without drowning out your original cast. And I really enjoy that because obviously they're going to draw in an audience because they have established fans. But, you know, I if we're going to have original characters, we want them to be the stars of their own show. And Poe and BB-8, I mean, I know BB-8 was around for a long time, but he was never overshadowing the main characters he was a partner and i was glad when cb23 came in one you know the cute name with uh, the reference to carry back and also we got to have another droid and i think what she's like the, one of the first female astromechs or maybe the first female astromech we've gotten in in, in canon star wars not in canon because you're thinking you're forgetting iv which i get mad at iv erasure uh there was the a... one from the comic yes yes okay um because bb8 apparently is a player um, <laughs> but yeah, no, getting to see CB in there too was, was really awesome. Um, BB-8 and, and I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you about how well they used Poe. Um, I felt like Poe and then the little tiny bits of Leia who we didn't even hear her speak in the first time we saw her. Um, it helped us establish where we were in the universe. And then, you know, you. We got to see Poe be the mentor, even though that boy clearly just also needs a mentor. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was well done. 
Yeah, it was interesting. You know, we're sometimes used to thinking of of Poe as the the hot shot, but this time it's Kaz as the hot shot, and Poe's like, all right, settle things down. Let's let's think things through. We have to do these things. We're gonna plan them through, and it was nice seeing him in that role. Yeah, it was. Okay, let's talk about season two. Mm. Brian, take the wheel. Okay, so yeah, season two is gonna be the last season, and God, just. I'm I'm upset either way. Like, if this was always going to be a two-season run, why didn't you just tell us from the beginning so this doesn't feel like a cancellation? If this was a cancellation, holy crap, I have got issues with how this show was treated, marketed, and just otherwise handled. Uh, Resistance always felt like it got s- second billing by Lucasfilm, but never got the same ancillary materials that Clone Wars or Rebels got. It never got, even got the same treatment at Celebration, where it got a panel in a smaller room on Getaway Day, while Rebels gets a big retrospective, despite the fact that it's only been done for less than half a year. Um, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why this show just never seemed to get the same love that more Filoni-involved shows got. And I think it's important to mention that we're not, like, begrudging the love that people have for Clone Wars and Rebels. Like, we know why there's a draw for those events and those memorial events, but it seems like Resistance never got the chance to get that kind of love, and that's the thing that really hurts, especially since when we got that panel for Resistance, when we got to see the cast in person, like, they are so magnetic and compelling. Like, one of my first reactions on watching that panel is, I would just have, I would want a whole DVD special feature of them just bantering, especially because apparently they banter each other in character when they're recording, and I would love to to see that, and I would love to see them flourish on more seasons of the show and really get to develop as characters. And it especially hurts that such a diverse cast, um, uh, of characters of color both on screen and the voice actors off screen aren't given a chance to be as integral to Star Wars as the other animated casts have been. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's that's really the thing. I'm not upset that Clone Wars and Rebels got that love and attention. I'm upset that this super diverse show, this super diverse and thoughtful show, Saturn winning show, might I add, um never was afforded the same chance that Rebels and Clone Wars got and it's easy to forget how rough the first seasons of Clone Wars and Rebels were. Especially Clone Wars. The first season of Clone Wars is hard to watch. I mean, I wasn't, that was when I was kind of ducked out of fandom for a little bit, but I feel like all I heard for ages was how much people didn't like Ahsoka. And honestly, that actually tends to be a theme with the animated shows. People don't like the young protagonist. A lot of people never liked Ezra, especially in the earlier seasons. A lot of people never liked Ahsoka, but the characters had a chance to grow and to evolve. And I think Kaz was able to grow up a fair amount in this in the show. And granted, he's a little bit older than both um, than both Ezra and Ahsoka were, but you had that. Uh, airing it at 10 p.m. on Sunday didn't help. Especially for uh, the audience they were trying to court, which was younger than the other animated shows. Yeah, and I mean, some people were like, well, everyone just watches things on streaming. Okay, yeah, but let's be honest, the first two seasons of Rebels 
I think a huge part of what made the fandom come together was that we all watched the show together and we all tweeted about it. And it was impossible to do that with Resistance because 10 p.m. on Sunday, no one's watching it live. We all kind of just watched it when we could on Sunday since it would be on the app at midnight or whatever. Um, and like you said, there wasn't any supporting material. I kept hoping that Dis uh, Disney Lucasfilm Publishing would announce a middle grade or a YA novel, but it never happened. Um, and yeah, and I'm, I'm so disappointed that I couldn't make the panel. Had I known that would be probably the only celebration panel we'd see, I probably would have found a way to cancel my plans. Yeah. And it's like, it's, you know, on the point of the characters being disliked at first, you know, the thing with older fans is they don't like new things. They don't like change. And these shows being marketed to a younger audience, we we've seen the kind of Star Wars fans who were brought into Star Wars thanks to Ahsoka. And they were given that chance because Ahsoka got to develop through several seasons and they got to grow up with her. Same thing with the fans of Ezra. They got to grow up with him. And it just makes me sad that kids who latch on to Kaz are never, one, maybe never got the chance to latch on to him. And two, they're not going to get the chance to grow up with him and the other characters on the show, like Toradoza especially, who's... Um, gets to be a teenager in the show like i would love for her to be a role model for people as much as ahsoka is for people and it's unfortunate that people won't get that chance yeah and i and i really enjoy getting to see justin ridge lead the show and and just see someone i don't have anything against dave filoni i really don't but i love getting to see a new voice say something and I really liked what I was getting to hear Resistance say. And I was I was hoping we were going to get at least three seasons of the show. But no, we're just getting two. And what looks like a pretty condensed time frame. And like it's you, fine. You can say that, hey, it's okay. This was clearly always the plan. But the plan can be bad. Like only giving this show two seasons and not telling us all in advance that was the plan. That's a not that's not great. Especially yeah, you when you call it a limited series and it would have been fine. Yeah, and it's it would be way less heartbreaking to me and other people like me who are seeing and kids who are seeing themselves on screen for the first time if they know this is what you're getting. And we don't even have a president for a Star Wars short series, so I don't know how anybody was supposed to expect that it was supposed to be this quick. You know, Clone Wars lasted for, what, six seasons, and it's getting a seventh? Uh, Rebels got at least four, and, you know, we were always wondering, is Rebels going to end? Is Rebels going to end? And it finally did end. But four seasons, at least, you know, even though I think it may have felt short to those who were really um, attached to it, it, it's still a good run. We never had any expectation that Resistance would end so quickly. Why should we have? That's not the case for past Star Wars shows. You know, I'm thinking about it. Did we even make it past the one year mark after they announced Resistance before they announced it was going away? If the if we did, it wasn't by much. So yeah. Ugh. Like I, it's. For me, it's fair to say that the, none of this was handled well. I'm just sad. Like, I, I still have very, I still have hopes for what they're going to do in season two. And it looks really cool. I mean, 
you've got some awesome guest star actors on there. Uh, David Dig- uh, David Diggs, I think that's his name. Yeah. Uh, Lafayette, basically. I'm sorry. I'm terrible at names. He's doing a guest, uh, a guest voice. I think, was it, did I see Luce, Xena, the warrior princess? Yeah. Lucy right? Lawless, Lawless is going to be there. Yeah. I can't think of names tonight. I'm so sorry, guys. I mean, they've got some cool names coming in to voice some roles. And I, and I'm excited that we're getting to see Tam as a part of the first order. And I still have, I can't remember if we talked about this before on the show or if I've just sort of yelled about it on Twitter, but I have these hopes for the arc that Tam might go through. Um, and it looks, it kind of looks like based on this that we might see her do it where she'll, she'll be in the first order. And then when she's in it, she'll slowly see what it really is. And then I'm, I'm hoping she'll become a double agent and, and come back to the resistance in the end. But they're, yeah. they're going to have to cram a lot of stuff into not that many episodes. And that is probably my biggest disappointment. Yeah. Well, what are cool things you guys saw in the trailer that you're, that you're looking forward to? Do you have any thoughts based upon it besides sadness? <laughs> Well, it's cool seeing new settings like uh, the show being based on the Colossus for a while. You know, the Colossus itself was sort of a character. Now that the Colossus is leaving and they showed flashes of different locations and different places and even space battles. It's cool to see the show expand um, both story wise and location wise. Yeah, um I'm really excited to see what happens off world and to see where they're going and how, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is going to take place a little bit after the last Jedi. It's got to. I mean, considering that the last Jedi takes place a hot minute after TFA, it has to. So it's going to be really our first glimpse into what this all looks like. Yeah. Now I'm wondering, I'm wondering, we, we don't know how far it's going to go past. No, um, I, I don't think it'll be very far, but it'll at least be something. Yeah. Hey, there's a possibility it might overlap with um, Resistance Reborn some. That'd be neat. Ooh, that would be neat. Yeah. Do you think they'll end up at Batu? I will be frankly shocked if they don't, especially when we've already seen what pretty, what looks like Yeager uh, standing in front of the spires. In, a, huh. in that photo frame. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Huh. Yeah. Um, I, I'd i be surprised if we didn't wind up on Batu for at least a little bit. <laughs> what would be cool if we saw Vi on the show then? That could be cool. I mean, if we're going to be talking just cold corporate synergy, this makes sense. Yeah, but then people will complain about corporate synergy. We're complaining um, about tie-ins to tie-ins. It's all tie-ins. It's tie-ins all the way down. Get over it, people. And plus, let's be real. If they, if, if you know, if they did a better job advertising the show, maybe it would have been better corporate synergy. Yeah. <laughs> Galaxy brain. Oh man. I just, I don't know why this is the one image I have from the trailer burned in my brain, but like hype talking to that hut. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to know what the history there is and what's going on. I can't. There's a story there and it's going to be good. It's going to be so good. Um, I'm also, I'm interested to see how, you know, the people in the Colossus react to number one, just being taken away from where they were technically living. Um, 
how people deal with the the restricted resources and everything and just how how it all works out for them. I, I think it'll be interesting to see. I want to know how that poor janitor alien's reacting to all this, really. Oh, no. I wonder if they'll start out the season with an episode where uh, the First Order attacks the Colossus every 33 minutes. <coughs> <laughs> Reset the clock. Oh my god, Doza's totally Adama. Exactly. Oh, does that make Tora, does that make Tora Lee? <laughs> Kaz is Starbuck. No, Tora makes much better choices than Lee. Well, I mean, that's not a high bar to clear. That's a very low bar to clear. Oh man. As long as no one does a Rosalind and throws people out the airlock. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right, just completely, what are, you get one pipe dream for what'll be in the show. What are you guys hoping for in this last season? Black Squadron. Papa Ziono and uh, Fancy Senators. (laughs) That was so painfully on brand. I'm going to add one more, so we're all very painfully on brand. Oh, actually. No, 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 you said your thing. No, 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 it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Fine. So there was one brief shot in the trailer of a character who's nicely dressed saying, like, Kaz, look out or something. That could be the dad. It could be. Or maybe an uncle. I don't know. All right, but staying on brand, I want to see Zay and Triv. Ooh. I, yeah, I'd love that. I'm just going to beat the Inferno Squad drum until the <laughs> end of time, and I'm not sorry. <sighs> okay. And we're going to, we will inevitably talk when season two wraps up. We will talk more about the show. Don't worry. We'll have feelings. Um, Jay, how about the art corner? Yes. So I think we talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, I think the perfect subject for art is, of course, the art style of the show. And, you know, the initial advertising of the show did seem bright and cartoony and very colorful. But as the show progressed into its more mature warlike phase the color palette did change it got a little darker um you know more harsh edges and um i I wonder do we think the initial presentation of the show and the initial art style turned people off when maybe it shouldn't have and especially because they were doing this um the initial announcement had this weird like anime inspired um, you know, they, they called it anime inspired. Um, and I think that turned a lot of people off for various reasons, including cultural corporation. But like, do we think that kind of advertising did the show a disservice and not the choice of the color palette itself, but emphasizing just all the color at the very beginning? Um, I, I think I, people were always going to whine. Yeah. And any different anytime, I think anytime you do anything, that's kind of got that cell shaded look that's for whatever reason is going to rub people the wrong way. Even though I thought that the, the art and color palette was beautiful. I thought it worked really well for this show. Um, but I also have no idea what in the world they were doing, saying that this was anime inspired. Who knows? One of the interesting things about the color and the criticism of it is that people said it looked like a cartoon and you shake your head and said, no, duh, it, it is a cartoon. And I think there's, just this weird bias, especially in older fans, um, against cartoons looking like cartoons. And that seems like a weird thing to say because cartoons can be very varied. Uh, Clone Wars look nothing like Rebels, which looks nothing like Resistance. And it's a whole 
medium that allows for adult and younger programming. And I, don't, I think t- turning off a show just based on the fact that it's colorful, I don't know. It, it says more about the insecurities of the, of the people who have that problem than, you know, the actual programming itself. Say it a little louder for the people in the back. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's... I I I I don't understand it because a lot of the people who complained about Rebels looking different from Clone Wars eventually came around on Rebels, but wouldn't extend the same courtesy to Resistance. It's like... Yes, these things look different, but none of these are inherently bad. Yep. And again, it wasn't helped by the fact, well, I think part of what helped was that for a while, Rebels was the only new Star Wars thing we were seeing on the screen. Because that started in 2014, right? And we didn't get TFA till 2015? Yes. Yeah. So Rebels got a very long time to shine. It got marketing. Resistance competed with other things, or at least it felt like it. Honestly, I think people are just just wanted an excuse to not like things. I mean, people complained about Kaz's antics, but I'm like, okay, did you watch later into the show where it got pretty heavy and pretty deep? Like, I will argue that the last couple of these these last couple episodes were like super heavy. Oh, I would absolutely agree with especially that. like, you know, like I said earlier, it's you have to think through a mature lens to even appreciate the Tam plotline. So it's not like it's a super childish thing. I mean, the, the child is like, oh, man, I can't believe Tam is betraying them. But it, it's not a betrayal if you think about it. Right. So, yeah. And hey, that actually leads us into one of our, our uh, listener questions, which comes from Diana, who asks, will you give Tam a hug? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't like the first order, and even I will give her a hug because, wow, she's been through a lot. If she anyone in this show deserves a hug, it's Tam. Yep. Yes. And then Diana also asked us if there was going to be a prequel YA novel, who would you want writing it? Which I think depends on which character it's about. Yeah, I. It would so. It would be so dependent on the character we're focusing on. Yeah. But also, I just kind of looked at my to-read pile, and C.B. Lee sort of jumps out at me. Yeah. She's, yeah. I mean, I haven't actually gotten to sit down and read Not Your Sidekick yet, but I, just the vibe I have from, like, the the sample chapters I've read from her stuff, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, I could see that. What about you, Jay? I'm horrendously bad at author questions because I think I don't like naming specific authors or thinking specific authors, but I think depending on the character, I would love to see a story from a person of color who had a similar background and experience to the author, to the character that was the main character of the story. And don't get me wrong, Star Wars has a wonderful stable of middle grade and young adult writers who I think all be wonderful, uh, wonderful choices to write any resistance tie-in but if we could get a character who could write about a character's experiences authentically especially you know if we're getting like i, I loved your idea earlier bria of a tam ya novel if we got that i would love to have someone who could persuasively write to her experiences struggling with her family background and everything she's experiencing and putting that on paper yeah 
And I'm trying to think of someone who we don't already have in the Star Wars universe. I mean, for if you're looking at Star Wars authors we have now, then like, you know, just, you know, Ireland is the obvious for a tan. But if you're trying to expand the stable. Yeah. And this is where I'm not a great person to ask because uh, I I have not read a whole bunch of YA of late. Uh, So I'm I'm a little out of the loop on who uh, who to recommend. But yeah. And then the last question we have comes from John, who says, given how long it takes to produce animation, what show do you hope they're working on now? He says he knows it's not a resistance focused question. Just curious about what we hope to see afterwards. And honestly, I don't even know. Like, for yeah. me, the grief is still too near. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously I will always advocate for something more along the lines of the resistance vein that focuses on the less mystical characters of the Star Wars universe. I pilots. don't, yeah, pilots. I don't think that's what they're going to do, though. I think they're going to go back to the Force lore well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... This question is hope and not think. So my hope would be to be something, um, you know, still in the poster from the Jedi era, still something new for Star Wars that we haven't explored in the current canon, at least. Um, maybe something during the peacetime and exploring that. I think the thing that we struggle with, though, is it's hard to sell a show like that. Like, I think even with Resistance, um, part of the initial feel of it was it's like, oh, there isn't a war yet. It's all peaceful. And, and people didn't know if there was a show there. And so on. Star Wars has to have that struggle between telling something new and interesting while still giving people what they want in Star Wars. Yeah. Well, I mean, after I mean, Rise of Skywalker, um, they're going to have to figure out a way to create that conflict without a film driving it. Yeah. I think it's very telling. We have no idea what's happening next. Like, I, I can't think of a single thing that's coming out next year. Like, do they have anything? Do we think they have anything immediately in the pipeline? Or is a bunch of the creative resources going towards these live-action Disney Plus things? I mean... That's well, Clone what it Wars, feels like. Clone Wars airs next year, right? Yes. And then we don't get another movie for two years? So 21? Right? Yeah. I mean, I could see us either getting a new show in the fall, but we know we're getting season two of The Mandalorian, right? Yeah, I think season two's already in production, and the Cassian show shouldn't be too far behind that. Right. And there's some, and Kenobi is going to be somewhere on Disney Plus. Yeah. So I mean, I could see us not getting another animated show until 21. I yeah, mean, granted, they, they, they would already be in production, but... I mean, they might elect to not... Yeah, I, I mean, something's probably in production just with production lead times, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the next project is something to tie in, something that fits a little closer with that 2021 film. 
But it's also yeah. really hard to predict because honestly, Disney Plus is such a game changer in the traditional models we're used to, too, of how television is supposed to work. So with Disney controlling the whole pipeline here, um, you know, we see with Marvel, the vast you know array of stuff they're doing. And Star Wars is not Marvel. I think we've learned that in terms of how many uh, movies it can put out, how many uh, products it can put out. But there could be room for an animation. I think that's probably definitely something Lucasfilm is looking very closely at. And they're keeping their cards tight to the vest. So honestly, yeah. it's anyone's guess. I think we might have a better guess in say January or February, because my assumption is once we go through the rise of Skywalker publicity and we, we, you know, all of that goes through and that's when they'll start to tell us more. Yeah. And definitely, you know, by the time, you know, but this time next year, we'll have gone through another celebration. I think well before celebration, I think we'll have a hint of what's coming because that's what they'll give us more details on at celebration, but probably announce before the con. Oh, my God. That's right. I keep forgetting we've got another celebration next year. Oh, I'm too old for this. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, not that I'm not excited for Celebration, but good God, let me sleep. Which I, I'm not used to celebrations being, domestic celebrations being back-to-back like this. It's not It feels like it's screwing up with my long-term internal clock. Right? How dare. Ugh. And on that less than chipper note, <laughs> uh, shall we wrap it up there, guys? Yeah, let's wrap it up yeah. there. All right, uh, join us for our next episode when we're going to talk about something. Um, I do have a tentative plan, but I, I have to get a couple of pieces in play or make sure they're they're set before I'm going to tell you guys what it is. So stay tuned. It'll be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if there's actually related to that, if there's something you'd like us if there's something you guys to talk about or I guess you think you should have on to talk about a subject, let us know. Um, I am not a never-ending fountain of ideas for this, and we only have so many Star Wars characters. So I'm very impressed we have gone two, almost two years now and still not run out of things to talk about. Holy cow, we are thoughts. almost at two years. Yeah, it's coming up. Uh, so if you have any, any thoughts on that, let us know. And on that note, I'll take us out. Uh, this episode of KanjiCast has been brought to you in part by you, our Patreon subscribers. That's patreon.com slash TashiStation. Get in at the $1 level and you can join our Patreon-exclusive Slack where you can uh, tell us what to talk about. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us with the handles TashiStation. Uh, that's the official sh- uh, network account. Uh, Jay is Admiral Jello. Bria is Chaos Bria. I'm Lane Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. As a reminder, we're part of the Tashi Station podcast network. Uh, subscribe to the Tashi Station uh, radio mega feed for all of our great shows. Uh, and that mega feed is available on the iTunes Store, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you might grab podcasts. And you can find our columns and news at TashiStation.net. Thanks for listening to another episode. We'll catch you all next month. So long, everyone.